This is the Bartender Journey Podcast. It's the Bartender Journey Podcast number 206. My name's Brian Vincent Weber. Thanks for listening. This week we'll be talking to Lou Bustamante. He's from the San Francisco area. He's a member of the USBG, the United States Bartenders Guild, and author of the Complete Cocktail Manual, 285 Tips, Tricks, and Recipes. This is a great book, and it's sanctioned by the USBG. Uh, so that'll be our book of the week. And it's a great book. There's uh, sections in here, everything from basics and setup, recipes and techniques, spirit profiles, which I like. Uh, it's got spirit profiles on agave spirits, gin, uh, whiskeys, rum, and bitter liqueurs, and all kinds of all kinds of things, brandy. And then uh, he's got a whole big section on entertaining and hospitality. So it's uh, it's a little aimed at uh, the home bartender, but I think it really there's a lot of great, great information here that uh, professional and enthusiasts alike can benefit from. So uh, highly recommended. The Cocktail Manual, or I should say The Complete Cocktail Manual, 285 Tips, Tricks, and Recipes by Lou Bustamante. And, of course, we'll have a link up to that on bartenderjourney.net. Let's do a cocktail of the week. And it's the El Presidente. It's going to be one and a half ounces of a white rum, silver rum, one and a half ounces of vermouth, a white vermouth or dry vermouth, and Dolan Blanc is uh, highly recommended here for that brand. And uh, then we want to do one bar spoon of orange uh, liqueur, uh, Gramonier, something like that, and one half bar spoon of real grenadine. Now, what's real grenadine? That stuff you see behind most bars is not real grenadine. That is high fructose corn syrup. It's got some red dye in it and some artificial flavorings. So uh, real real grenadine uh, is pomegranate juice. Uh, it's basically a simple syrup made with pomegranate juice, so one-to-one ratio of pomegranate juice to sugar. And uh, you can, for, making it with fresh pomegranate juice is amazing. If you get pomegranates and uh, squeeze all that juice, it's kind of messy, but absolutely delicious. If you don't want to go to that length, you can get the Palm Wonderful Juice. That's actually 100% pomegranate juice, so that'll work too. And uh, so you just want to, just like simple syrup, heat up that juice just enough to dissolve the sugar. Let that cool a little bit, and then uh, you can use it just like that. Or better yet, we're going to add a little pomegranate molasses, which is something you can get on Amazon easily enough. And one teaspoon of orange blossom water, uh, which is, again, something you can get on Amazon. And we'll have links to that on Bartender Journey. So uh, the proportions, uh, I should start from the beginning, two cups of pomegranate juice, two cups of sugar, two ounces pomegranate molasses, one teaspoon of orange blossom water. Delicious, delicious stuff. So uh, back to our El Presidente. We're going to mix the uh, rum, the blanc vermouth, the dry vermouth, the orange curacao or uh, gramonier. We're going to stir that up with some ice and double strain it into a chilled coupe glass. You can serve that with a uh, orange twist and, and or if you like a uh, maraschino cherry in there, you can do that too. Uh, you can get some good ones, again, similar to, very similar to our uh, grenadine those those cherries that we see behind most bars are uh, pretty bad and there's some much better ones out there and uh, I'll have some links for some of those if you're interested as well Jeffrey Morgenthaler did a great article on real grenadine and I'll have a link to that on bartenderjourney.net as well along with the show notes to go along with the show number 206 the El Presidente was apparently named in honor of the president of Cuba from 1913 to 1921, Mario Garcia Moncal. I hope I'm saying that correctly. Moncal. 
Uh, of course, in 1920, when Prohibition took effect in the U.S., many people would fly down to Cuba for the weekend to get some legal booze and uh, a little a little nightlife and live it up a little bit. The cocktail became popular and was soon found in speakeasies in the U.S. during Prohibition. Interestingly, now the U.S. has finally opened up formal relations with Cuba and some authentic Cuban rums are starting to filter into the U.S. And uh, they're still a little hard to find at this time, but... Um, this whole thing may put a little bit of a highlight on the entire category of rum, which is an exciting category. There's such diversity in the uh, in the in the category of rum, and uh, there's so many different styles, and there's a lot to talk about with that. And I've done other uh, episodes about that. If you want to uh, find one, you can go to the um, go to the website, and there's a little Google search bar on the right hand side, and and search for ACR rum. That's that's a good episode about. Uh, different categories of rum. ACR means authentic Caribbean rum. And uh, just because there's no rules really when it comes to rum, other than it has to be made with uh, sugar or molasses. And uh, But there, other than that, there's really no international rules. But in the Caribbean, uh, a bunch of producers just got together and uh, came up with uh, some standards. Uh, and then if you see, if you ever see a bottle of rum marked ACR, you can have uh, pretty good confidence that that's good stuff. That that's some quality run there. All right, let's talk to Lou Bustamante. All right, we're here with Lou Bustamante, author of The Complete Cocktail Manual, 285 Tips, Tricks, and Recipes. Great book, man. Thank you. It, and so the USBG logo is right on, right on the cover. So what, what's the um, association with USBG in the book? Well, the idea was to, you know, the USBG being the largest trade association of bartenders, and I think they're like in 70 cities now with some 6,000 members. Uh, the idea was to try to get um, all that knowledge or as much of that knowledge uh, into the book as possible. Um, so really, I mean, everybody who is featured in the book is is a member. Um, a lot of the knowledge uh, drawn in came from members. It really was trying to bring that professional knowledge um, that these people are very, very passionate about uh, to the home consumer. Right. Well, I, th- I think this book is valuable to a uh, you know to a b- young bartender, somebody you know first starting out because there's there's great or you know really anybody because there's great knowledge in here. I think anybody can learn from. Thank you, thank you. Yeah, we I mean tried getting a full range of of uh, of tips, not just you know really basic, but some you know some more advanced stuff. Like I think in the shaking section, we have talk about you know, of course the shakers, but also the best position to shake in so you don't hurt yourself. Uh, stress injuries are a big part of you know discussions of what's happening in the bartending these days since it, it'll wreck your body if you're not careful. Uh, but also really beginning stuff like how to do reverse dry shake or one of the tips that people appreciate <laughs> for the beginner especially is how to open up uh, a shaker. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I can't tell you how many years I went without knowing the proper way to do that. And when oh. somebody finally explained it to me, I was like, Oh, I get it now. Yeah, it's nothing sadder than having your beautiful, delicious drink trapped in a metal tin. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, just if there's anybody who doesn't know, would you mind explaining that? Sure. I, it, uh, I think with a with, with three-part cobbler shaker, it's a little trickier since yeah. uh, the problem with those is that they tend to, if you've done more than a couple of drinks in the tin, usually the tin will be wet. And it'll freeze along the seams as you've you've, uh, you've shaken the next drink. So a warm towel on those areas to 
kind of melt some of the ice that's uh, on the seams helps. If you're doing a two-part, like a Boston shaker, um, you know, the best thing to do is to, to hold it by the big tin and usually the top tin or the top glass will be um, at an angle uh, during the shaking when you've sealed it. Right. And I find usually to hit it on the side that's flush to the bottom tin is the best place to kind of like break that seal. If you're using a, a metal tin, so two tins, two metal tins, um, you could just give the bottom one a, good, a little squeeze with your thumb and your, your forefinger, and that will usually be enough to break that seal as well. Right. So, yeah, breaking the seal is kind of the key because it's sort of like uh, there's a vacuum created inside. So we want to uh, break that seal sort of like if you have a jar that won't open and you use a spoon to release the pressure. Exactly. Yeah. So, oh, so you hit it where they, where they meet. I uh, see. I, I, I put that part, uh, towards me where the, where they're meeting and then hit uh-huh. it. So if you're looking at it like a clock, uh, I would hit it at, uh, nine o'clock. Right. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's for me, that's, that's the way I've, I've learned it and it, when it works. Um, but I've certainly had to been, I've been in situations where it, that did not work right away. And yeah. I was like, no, maybe I'll give it a squeeze or, or turn it around and try the other side. But, but generally speaking, I don't, and I don't know why. For me, that's worked. Yeah, um, but it's also important that the two, if you if you're doing ten on ten, that they um, it's a matching set because you can get into a situation where they don't match, and and whatever you do, you're gonna you're oh, gonna gosh. still have problems. Um, but yeah, definitely definitely testing them to make sure that they work, or going somewhere to buy them where you know they can lead you to um, a good a good match for sure. Cocktail Kingdom, they'll hook you up <laughs> <laughs> for sure. <laughs> It's a good place to buy stuff. So I like I like how the book is uh, uh, it's numbered by tips. You don't have page numbers, but you, you start you know with number one and then go all the way to what is it two hundred and eighty two hundred eighty yeah. So some of those are recipes and some are tips and um, some is just kind of knowledge. So that that's a really good way to to lay it out. I think. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. We we really wanted it to be really accessible and broken up into into chunks that. Or easily digestible and not overwhelming. You know, they they build on each other, but you could open up the book and and read a couple of items in the middle somewhere and and still get something out of it. You know, we just didn't didn't want a lot of gray, just pure text. You know, we want to show people how to do stuff or make it really highly illustrative so that you're you're kind of getting that, um, you know, especially with the step by step instructions to kind of see as much as as a uh, as read right right and yeah and if you're referring to something in one section where you have to refer to another section you can just say see you know number 100 or whatever so that's cool yeah yeah i find it easier to find things that way i don't i don't know why i was a little reluctant at first when the publisher mentioned they were wanted to do that and i thought it seems a little bit weird no page numbers mm-hmm. you know gotten so used to page numbers on on books but i think it totally makes sense yeah it does so it's nice uh, starting in the beginning. If you're, I sometimes get questions like from enthusiasts and, and you know, they're like, what should I have in my bar? What should I have in my bar? You know, and like, well, there, there's books, and this one, this one's a great, uh, this one's a great start. So starting cool. with uh, your tools and uh, your back bar, and uh, yeah, there's a lot of good tips in here to set up your home bar or or, or professional bar, really. Yeah, no, definitely. I think just understanding the tools, understanding um, really kind of the 
the basics of what you need. But I think also, too, to make it approachable and not make it seem like you need to have all of this stuff before you can make a drink. Yeah, that's know? a common misconception with enthusiasts. It's like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to you know, go out and get all of this different stuff before I can even get started. Like, no, man. <laughs> Just like, <laughs> get yourself a couple of bottles, get this, that, the other thing, get a shaker, maybe a glass, you know, or a stirrer, you know, a spoon and, uh, you know, just, just try. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, even drinks like an old fashioned, you don't need anything except, uh, you know, maybe a spoon with, has like a muddling end on it, uh, or even just a regular spoon, um, to crush the sugar. But I mean, that doesn't require anything except a glass, bitters, sugar, and, and spirit and, you know, you can knock out a delicious drink there with really basically no equipment. Yeah, that's right. Or you could use simple syrup like I do at work. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I find I, it actually, so much easier and faster. Yeah, I've, I've gotten into the, the rich simple in there instead of the, the sugar cube or, or trying to dissolve sugar Yeah, um, in there for sure. Yeah, no, that's a great, that's a great tip. Mm-hmm. And so you, get in, you also get into uh, how spirits are made, um, which is cool. Um, not everybody knows all this for instance um the different types of gin that's a uh that's something that I'm, i've been trying to um you know memorize myself but uh you want to explain a little bit about that sure i mean i think there's a yeah. what do i talk about in there you have uh, geneva london dry old tom slow gin and, slow gin. and uh modern style <laughs> yeah i guess we'll start with the with the geneva which is really the oldest style it's the the Dutch style of gin, and and really, it's it's unique because it has it has all the botanicals, but it also has kind of this malt component that makes it sometimes almost feel a little bit whiskey like. And yeah. I've had a couple of of aged ones where, you know, it gets really whiskey like. So it's a really interesting gin, you know, really the oldest gin. And then um, the London Dry is probably the most common mm-hmm. that you know people when they think about gin, they think about London Dry. So the style is is very classic, very juniper forward, and then you have the old Tom, which has some sweetness in it, sometimes some age, and then slow gin is uh, is just really gin that has slow berries infused in there, which is makes it almost a liqueur because right. uh, that gets sweetened up uh, a little bit tart, or should be a little bit tart. It's got some nice acidity. It's great gin. And then, Great yeah, stuff. and then and then going into modern gin, that's where that's where the lines get a little fuzzy, you know. And it's, and some I think that's almost made it more confusing to categorize gin, you know. Oh, for sure, yeah. Especially because you expect gin to have juniper dominant, but yet you know a lot of these modern gins kind of you know ignore that and kind of try to focus it on something else, and which is you know it's interesting, but it does make it harder to mix. I think especially when you have a classic gin recipe that relies on a London dry, but you try using something else that has, you know, more, a more citrus forward flavor, it's going to change it, which I think is always, it's always good to just taste, taste, uh, taste before you mix too many of them. Right, right. Yeah, it's so important to taste your spirits before you start mixing them in, you know, to know what it tastes like on its own. Yeah, especially liqueurs, because the, sh- the sugar levels vary between brands. And so a ratio that works with one brand may not with another it may be too dry or too sweet so right. definitely tasting is is important yeah uh but the modern style gin uh i think i, I feel like 
it's was sort of built to appeal. I, I don't know. Maybe I'm speaking out of turn here, but I feel like it was built to appeal <laughs> to uh, vodka drinkers. Oh, for sure. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think much cleaner, uh, much, much leaner, uh, and flavor and, and definitely as a, as a gateway gin, but I always applaud people trying something new because, you know, you just never know, play with the recipe a little bit and, and see and get some cool stuff sometimes and really some not other times. Um, but it at least gives everybody, uh, you know, an opportunity to find something they, they may connect to, you know, even if I don't, or you don't, or it's nice to have choice. Sure. Sure. Well, it's, it's frustrating when you run into guests that are just like, Oh, I don't do gin, you know? And it's like, man, (laughs) but yeah, you'll drink fruitly flavored vodka, you know? (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, you know, Southern Teague, he's, he's the president. Yeah. yeah, He's, he's the new president of our New York chapter of the USPG. Oh, awesome. Yeah. But uh, he always he doesn't carry um, vodka in his bar. But he says, I've, "I've got this juniper flavored vodka. <laughs> it's called <laughs> Beef Eater Gin." <laughs> How do people react to that? Do they? Do uh, they like? Oh, okay. Uh, I guess try I'll try it. it. <laughs> <laughs> it's fun. He's 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 great at introducing people to uh, to weird stuff because his bar is just full of weird stuff. <laughs> That's cool. That sounds like that kind of bar. Oh man, have you never been to Amari Margo? No, you know the last time I was out in New York, I think I I always have a big list. Yeah. And I get through maybe a quarter of it. Mm-hmm. Even even I had a couple of days where I was going to six different bars and it was just it's hard to catch up. Yeah, well, um, but then, you know, you get to one that you really dig and it's like, ah, well, I want to want to stay here a little longer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's that's the tough part. Or there's something else on the menu I wanted to try or whatever, you know. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. You know, especially out in the boroughs, there's there's so much now. You have to travel out farther to see and, and try more things because, you know, they're all worthwhile destinations. Yeah, this uh, crazy, crazy amount going on in Brooklyn now and uh, yeah. spreading to Queens as well. Oh, really? A, a bit, yeah. Not, That's cool. Not so much Staten Island where I spent a lot of my time growing up. <laughs> is, there, is there still no scene there? <laughs> Not much, but it'll get there eventually. Yeah. Well, maybe that's uh, that's something for you to do out there. Yeah. Bring the, bring the noise. Yeah. Well, I, yeah, I've been thinking about that. Or actually, now I live a little north of the city, and same thing. There's no no scene going on up here at all. I mean, people just ha- don't have a clue. Um, so, you know, trying to trying to spread the love, and uh, but it's it's an uphill battle sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But it's fun, you know, when when you when you convert somebody, you, you feel like you sent them down a new a new path, you know, and they're you know maybe they're a little more educated than they were before. Exactly, they they know one more drink they really like and something they they never would have tried. Yeah, exactly. Yep, which is great. Mm-hmm. You know, there's there's a bar out here that's been doing a lot of out here in, in Healdsburg in Sonoma. They have a uh, six taps of of cocktails. Yeah, all tapped up and. They use those taps to do the really geeky drinks, mm-hmm. things that they that people would never order. Right. But because they're all on tap, they can offer a taste. Mm. And so they've hooked people to onto all kinds of crazy stuff that on the menu would never just never reads all that exciting. And they're like, What is this? I have no idea what's in here, but it's delicious and I want another. And that's a great idea. It's such a cool idea. Because you you know, you go to a, a bar and you try beers and or wines before you buy. But with cocktails, it's kind of 
really difficult. Yeah, that's true. And uh, yeah, probably something about just about the fact that it's on tap makes it a little more, you know, people are used to drinking beer on tap. So maybe that's just one more reason why people are more, you know, willing to give it a try too. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. And, and carbonated. I mean, that's always exciting. Yeah, I love that. I love that. <laughs> it was one bar, one bar on uh, Houston Street here that uh, they they just had um, uh, rye on tap, carbonated, chilled. Wow, it was awesome. <laughs> it was so that good. That sounds great. See, <laughs> yeah, it was great, brilliant. I loved it. And did they have it as a like boiler maker, like shot in a beer? thing or was it more no it was just on tap carbonated chilled he said do you want it neat or on the rocks wow cool (laughs) (laughs) something else to to try out when when i'm out in new york again yeah yeah i don't know i haven't been back to that place that was um fool's gold i'm not not haven't been there in a while okay cool yeah so uh again you do the same thing with uh with rum you talk about the different types of rum here so light rum golden or aged rum dark slash Jamaican rum. There's so many different ways to categorize rum these days. Um, you know, there's a big push to to say, you know, well, it's not a dark rum. It's a, you know, it's a pot-stilled uh, rum made from molasses, you know. Right. I think it's getting trickier to categorize some stuff, but there are some really basic, okay, well, some classic categories, I guess, are not definitely changing. Yeah, but there's I, a lot of education going on in the rum category these days. And it, it's tricky because there's no, like, rules you know <laughs> well a, sugar besides sugar i mean that's it right right but as far as additives and and other things um oh there's yeah that's but it's that's nice a, to see there's there's a few a, a few regions that are getting together to make their own sort of aocs or whatever um there's a, there's a couple of them uh different regions that are doing that now which is so nice to see yeah and i guess that the sugar additive in a lot of these is surprise was surprising for me yeah I think to, to learn that so many add sugar back in um, but I mean that happens with with cognac as well where right. they'll add they'll add caramel color I mean that's just traditionally part of the the whole thing yeah well cognac has some rules and of course it's made in a specific location where rum can be made anywhere and is made anywhere and uh, it's kind of all over the place as far as regulation goes or there's really not much regulation if any yeah I, I, it seems like it's getting better and this uh, rum's such a fascinating category right now. There's also such great bargains in rum right now. Oh, yeah. And there really is a lot more. There seem to be a lot more different rums coming out. Like Plantation's got a whole, oh, delicious. whole suite of yeah, inexpensive. Made, made, made by a stuff. cognac maker. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's cool. So so you're um you're in the San Francisco chapter, right? But but you live yeah. outside you live in Sonoma County? I live actually out in uh closer to Napa. Oh, okay. So it's not too far away. I I take the there's a ferry that runs between uh, here where I live in Vallejo and over to San Francisco, which is a nice 50-minute uh, ride. Mm. The traffic out here has gotten ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Um, it used to be that it would take me 30 minutes to drive. Right. No, it's 45 minutes to drive from my house to just downtown San Francisco. And especially lately with all the traffic, it's you know sometimes close to two hours. Yeah, so yeah. so the, the ferry is, is nice. There's no traffic. If it's raining, it doesn't matter. <laughs> right. It's good fun. Cool. Oh, I see you worked at um St. George St. George Distillery, yeah? Yeah, yeah. I love their gin. That's, the terroir oh, gin is fabulous. That stuff is fantastic. Yeah. I I was there for, for about five years from uh two thousand late two thousand four through two thousand nine. And that really was where I learned probably the most. Because it's it was a tiny it's a tiny company. 
when I started, I was employee number seven. So it was really, you know, I really had the opportunity to see every facet of, of the business. Obviously, the most interesting is the distillation process itself. Right. And they, they were doing such a range of, of different products then uh, between, you know, their single malt, all the different ODVs. They were doing the Hangar One vodka at that point while I was there um, before the Proximo bought it, ah. uh, that, that brand from them. But yeah, I was learning a ton. Also, while I was there, I ended up, uh, because I wanted to learn more, I was bar backing at Beretta for a while in uh, 2008, 2009, working with, uh, with a couple of guys who now have opened up their own bar, um, ABV, with Todd Smith and uh, Ryan Fitzgerald. Mm, yeah, so I've heard of that. Bar backed for, for them. That was you know, really educational, especially because you know, working at St. George, I, would, I saw the process of how everything was made, but how those products were then utilized you know, was kind of the other side of that coin I wanted to, to experience. And it was, you know, it was a lot of fun. And I, from that point on, I, I joined the USBG and kind of never looked back. It's such a life-changing thing, isn't it? I mean, I, I tell my listeners all the time about USBG, but why don't you put in your own words why, why you think people should join? I think, you know, that there is so much to learn and so much to know and every, the landscape changes constantly. And the USBG is fantastic because, you know, as an organization, they offer so many educational opportunities to learn about, you know, one specific spirit or one specific brand. Or, you know, we've had meetings out here where we've had physical therapists come out and talk about things to think about while you're moving and, sh- and shaking drinks. Um, to, gosh, um, you know, obviously there's definitely some parties, but I think the education is, is definitely um, the bigger part of it. And also the you know the, the people right. people who you, you get to hang out with people who are super interested in in learning more about you know bartending and the spirits and you know really every facet um, of the business. It's you know it's if you're into it, um, you know it's just meet a lot of like-minded uh, you know people who you know I think I've it's probably the one place where I've met uh, you know the most friends there it's, totally. it's been fantastic yeah it's, it is such a great great place to make friends and and um yeah it's such a powerful thing to be around people that are just as geeked out on something that you are you know <laughs> so oh yeah but you really make great friends and um and the networking opportunities are amazing too oh yeah i mean you know what's opening and who's working there and and what kind of positions are available and for sure there's it creates a lot of opportunity yeah absolutely and um just the coolest people in the world. <laughs> yeah, cool and passionate and really knowledgeable. I mean, and that's really the, you know, to bring it back to the book, that's what I was trying to cram as much of that as I could into the book, you know, and also celebrate some of these people and let their drink recipes or their knowledge kind of have a, a much broader audience than, you know, they're just the, you know, in their bar. Right, right. And we see a lot of that in the USBG too, is, you know, the opportunity to, um, you know, maybe present at a conference or, you know, just make a, make a name for yourself in this business. Yeah, for sure. I'm just leaf, leafing through the book here looking for recipes that I don't re- recognize. And the Devil's Backbone, I never heard of that. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's a great drink from Chris Lane, who's over at Ramen Shop in Oakland. It's like a, how would you call it? I guess it's... I guess it's a Manhattan some, variation, sort of. Well, Manhattan variation with, with some um, Amaro in there. Yep. And some scotch, which is, it just makes it... I guess it's maybe more of a Rob Roy variation mm, mm-hmm. of sorts. So yeah, so you got like rye. It's like a pool of RDA. Yeah, it's, 
Yeah, it's got rye whiskey. His calls for Ardbeg. Right. But really kind of a peaty scotch. Mm-hmm. Uh, some Averna, Amaro, and some aperitivo liqueur. Bitters, and yeah, it's it's super rich. It's yeah, a, it sounds like it. It's a great, I mean, it's a really great drink. I, I'm i a sucker for, for stirred drinks. Yeah. That's just my... Stirred and boozy, it, I'm with you. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and on the same page, you have a drink with a um, cola reduction. That's something that I haven't played with yet, but I, I think I want to um, I think I want to try to uh, put something like that on our menu. Maybe a, um, a cola old-fashioned or something I think would be fun. Yeah, that'd be really cool, right? actually. Yeah, I think yeah. I think it's a great way to get people drinking boozy drinks, you know? So, hey, it's got, you know, it's got cola in it. Um, but it's an old fashioned, you know, old fashioned is a word people recognize right away. And, and, uh, so, you know, I think even people that are not old fashioned drinkers might, might go for that, you know? Yeah. Especially if somebody who likes to order whiskey and Coke, right. it's, you know, it's the same components, but it's reworked into something completely different. So, yeah, uh, this is the great compromise, cola reduction, bourbon whiskey, fernet, punti mess. And cherry bitters. Oh, I don't have any cherry bitters. <laughs> no cherry bitters? No. <laughs> I have a lot of bitters. No cherry bitters. So many bitters. There's so, so many. many bitters. Oh, so then you have some uh, mocktails here as well, right? Yeah. You know, I, at first I, I thought, you know, do mocktails deserve a place in, in the book? And it's, I think, increasingly that mocktails are, are really an important thing to know. Not everybody wants to drink or can drink for some reason. They also don't want to feel like they're sitting in the kids' table, right. you know, just sipping a coke while everyone else has a has a glass with something really deliciously crafted that they can't, you know, in, indulge in. Mm-hmm. So, I, yeah, mocktails are, I think are important. You can make them, you know, pretty easily, and you know, garnish them nicely, and you know, everyone can just, you know, still socialize together. It's important that you offer that guest, uh, you know, make them feel part of the group and make them have something fancy and, um, and charge them more than you would for a Sprite. <laughs> yeah. Well, and they're getting the better, I mean, really they're getting something, especially at most bars where they have fresh juice and everything else, they're getting a much better experience as well. Totally. It's a way to, to include everybody. And really there's so many reasons why you would not want to drink particular day, even if you drink usually. Yeah. And I have a very hard and fast rule. I never ask a lady if she's pregnant and I never ask somebody why or point out the fact that they're not drinking. Yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> that is that is an excellent uh, excellent way to, to go about it, for sure. <laughs> Even if it's obvious, one or the other. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, I like how you say it, and I tell people this all the time, too, like if, you, if you're just starting out as a bartender or you're an enthusiast, um, go to a bar and, you know, sit with the bartender and ask questions and, you know, what's that? What are you making? And, and I think you mentioned that somewhere here as well. Yeah, yeah, in the beginning. I think it's, it's such a great way to, to learn. I mean, obviously don't go show up on a Saturday night when they're, you know, four people deep and, and want to have a conversation and ask a lot of questions. But on a quieter night, I think it's, it's such a great way to learn. It really is. Well, Lou, this has been a really great conversation. Thanks so much for taking the time to talk to me. Oh, thank you, Brian. I, I really appreciate your uh, the time. Um, let me talk a little bit about the book, and and also uh, just pleasure to meet you on, via via the interwebs. Same here, man. Same here. Let me know uh, if you, if you're in New York anytime soon. Yeah, for sure. I'm hoping to be out there sometime this year. All right, um, great. Hopefully, within the next few, I'll, I'll definitely reach out. Awesome. All right, thanks again, Lou. Appreciate it. All right, thanks, Brian. Lou's a good guy, and uh, he did, in fact, come to New York very shortly after we recorded that, and we hung out and had a good old time on the Lower East Side. 
Hey, uh, stand by for our toast. We do a toast every week at the very end of the show. But first, I'll remind you, my name's Brian Vincent Weber. You can follow me on Instagram at Bartender Journey. You can find the Bartender Journey Facebook page. Just search for Bartender Journey on Facebook. Hey, breaking news. Uh, looks like I'll be presenting a seminar at Tales of the Cocktail for the first time, uh, along with uh, Karen Newman will be leading the seminar, and we'll have Souther Teague and Damon Bolte on the panel, and me. So uh, if you're going to be at Tales of the Cocktail, let me know, and I hope you'll come to my seminar. It's going to be about podcasting for bartenders. So if you're going to be at Tales of the Cocktail in New Orleans in July, let me know. And uh, maybe we'll get together and have a cocktail. Remember, the Bar Institute Econo Tour is kicking off. And uh, as I record this here in uh, very late March 2017, and you can find out more information about that at bartenderjourney.net slash BI for Bar Institute. And uh, I hope you'll go. They're, they're touring around to some of the s- smaller or mid-sized cities all around the U.S. and even up to Canada. And I hope you'll go. You'll really enjoy it. It's a one-day uh, event with classes and a pop-up cocktail event in the evening, and all of that will cost you just a $5 donation. The, all, the, all the proceeds go to charity. That's from the good people at Lush Life. You can leave us a review, and uh, however you get your podcast, there's probably a way to review it. If you're on iPhone and you've been keeping up with the updates, you can finally leave a podcast review right from your phone. I don't know why that took 10 years or whatever it was to sort that out. Uh, it used to be you can only do it from a computer with iTunes, but now you can do it right, right on your phone. So if you go to the podcast app, search for Bartender Journey, click on the purple uh, icon, and then you'll see uh, reviews, and you can leave a review right from the phone. Be like Petman11, who left five stars and said, can't wait to hear each new one. Really enjoy your podcast. Just subscribed. I'm a home enthusiast. Thanks, Petman11. All right, here's our toast, and it's from Lou Bustamante's book. He says this is a popular toast in Spanish-speaking countries. I could try to say it in Spanish, but I'd be sure to embarrass myself. So in English, it is health and love and time to enjoy it. Cheers. We'll see you next time on the Bartender Journey Podcast. Now, the uh, good Dr. Weird.